Power on your Bibles or turn in the one in the book rack to Acts chapter 8. If you're new with us, we kicked off a brand new teaching series last weekend called The Underground Jesus. And it's the only series we do every year where we track the underground movement of Jesus historically and today what is happening. It's really a study of what church is. That church is not just a building or a gathering place on Sunday, but as a community of followers of Jesus living on mission in our local context all over the globe for those attending live online. And that said, I'm pumped to kick off this morning's message looking at Acts 8, but I'm going to give you a quick review of things that we've studied. If you remember, we're tracking through the book of Acts this year through this teaching series, and last week we looked at Jesus wasn't just crucified and resurrected on the third day. He eventually presents himself to the disciples and he ascends to the right hand of the Father. He says, the Holy Spirit, the advocate is gonna be given to you so you won't have to be alone. Then they're all worshiping and praying together 50 days after the Passover, celebrating the festival of weeks when the Spirit of God is given. Peter goes out, he preaches to thousands of people and 3,000 people come to know Christ in one moment, in one day all hearing him speaking in their native language because the Spirit empowered him supernaturally. Then, because of the rapid expansion of the good news of Jesus, the gospel there in Jerusalem, it begins to spread pretty rapidly. But by Acts chapters 3 and 4, eventually the disciples will be thrown into jail because of their bold faith, and they will come back, and as we looked at last week, pray for more boldness. And we challenged you last week to really live your best life to be devoted to the things that matter. So what I want to talk to you this morning is about that level of devotion. And when we look at Acts chapter 8 and what's about to occur, I'm telling you, it's going to put a lot of things in perspective here in American culture in the 21st century in the state of Indiana. See, Acts chapter 5, everything goes haywire. They're supposed to be meeting and like sharing their resources so that no one would go without. But this one couple, they had some resources and they lied to God. And they didn't offer it up and pretended like they didn't have it. And so because of that, God strikes them dead. Now I want you to imagine today something like that occurred as we walk out of here today. It would have been so dramatic and earth-shaking, and yet the community said, no, we still need to meet the needs of people. They said, let's set aside these uh, deacons, which just is Greek for servants. These servant leaders that they raised up who would help widows and orphans and serve the community in need. And, and in chapter six, that occurs, but then there's this one deacon, Stephen. You remember Stephen? You saw him grow up, this great kid, who was following the Lord as a young man, and he's set apart serving the orphans and widows. And because of his faith and testimony in Jesus crucified and resurrected, the Pharisees, the Jewish community, considered it blasphemy. And they actually stoned him to death in front of everyone. And there's this one Pharisee there named Saul, or you might also know him as Paul, who oversees and approves of the stoning of Stephen. And then we get to Acts chapter 8, and everything's like getting crazy. You ready for this? It says this in verse 1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. They're like, do you see how they, they killed Stephen? They stoned him, and everybody was afraid it was going to happen to them. 
The persecution we're describing is not I went to school and somebody didn't fully support my theological beliefs. It was not I went into the workplace and I was a little nervous if I spoke about my faith, what my boss might think. This was like fear for your life, your family's thrown into prison simply because of the name of Jesus. Verse the second half of verse one, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul, which by the way, sometimes we'll talk about, he was called Saul and then he finds Jesus and he's called Paul. I've even made that mistake before, but the reality is one's just Aramaic and one's Greek. It's the same name. And in this passage, Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. Picture this, going into neighborhoods, He's, he's, going, he's going past the, the gated community, going up to your front door, knocking on it, and they're going to take people out. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Then Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. So everybody's scattered because they're all like, dude, they killed Stephen. What's going to happen next? People are being thrown into prison because of this guy named Saul. So Philip, who was known as an evangelist, decides, I'm going to go to Samaria. If you're like, well, that makes sense. Not really. That was not where the godly people were. This wasn't like the easy reach. He goes to Samaria. They were often referred to with derogatory remarks by their community. And he's going to proclaim the Messiah there. And I can't wait to show you how God is going to supernaturally work because Philip is faithful to following what he's asking him to do. But the reality is the level of devotion that we read in Acts 8 when the church begins to be severely persecuted is a devotion that most of us in American Christianity will never comprehend. I was talking to uh, some great volunteers in our church who come early, uh, not the 9 a.m. service, serving every week, and they were just talking about how for us who have been believers for a while, how convicting it is to read this passage and think about the type of persecution they actually endured and how feeble our faith and devotion to the Lord often is in our culture today. And that's what I want to address. I want to ask you this very difficult question without condemnation, no guilt, no shame. How devoted are you to the movement of God today? Not just to attending a worship service, but devoted to the rapid expansion of the good news of Jesus Christ in our state and around the globe. How devoted are you? Because we're all devoted to something. How, what is your level of devotion? Will you pray with me? God, uh, I just thank everybody here. I mean, they got up early on a Sunday morning in American culture. People don't do that much anymore. And, and they came and packed out this place, God. We're trying to find chairs for people. And we just acknowledge, Lord, your presence, that you're here with us, that we just sang about your Holy Spirit being with us. I pray, God, that, that you would take any words of my human nature away, that you would supernaturally speak to people through Scripture about our lives and how to live differently. Through the stories that we share today, God, might we be challenged to change, that there are people in our communities who need you, God, that we would live with a level of devotion to further your kingdom in a way we've never seen in our life. We love you, Jesus. We give you this time. We acknowledge your presence. Speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. You know, I was thinking about, we all know devotion. 
Like if you're in a dating relationship or a marriage relationship, you know whether somebody's truly devoted or not by the way that their actions portray their level of devotion. It's really easy to see devotion in kids. When a kid is not devoted to something, it is very clear. Uh, I want you to go in there and clean your room. Nope, not gonna do it, right? It's very easy to find out what they're not devoted to, but when they're devoted to something, it's crystal clear. In fact, uh, my daughter Jenna, she doesn't get enough airtime here from the stage. She's the well-behaved child in our family. She's like the angel the Lord gave us that we don't deserve, and she's amazing. And she came to me uh, uh, earlier last week and was like, hey, Dad, I really want to go fishing. I don't know what it is. Like, for some reason in our household, we're the only two that want to fish. And so that's like our thing we do together. She's like, I want to go fishing. I was like, okay. So I called up one of the fishermen I know, uh, Ben Glenn, student pastor here. And I was like, hey, Ben, we need some like fishing rods and tackle. And he's like, I got you. I, I show up to his house. He's got like this whole like care kit prepared for us to go fishing together. It's like, this is awesome. So I take her out fishing and, and we did catch a couple of fish within the first hour. I, I hooked them. She got to reel the last one in. Just so you know, I'm not making the story up. It was just a little pond fishing, but this was the, the biggest bass we caught that day. And she was excited as she reeled that thing in. But we were there for hours in the hot sun. I think it was about four hours. And she did not hook a fish the entire time we were there. I blame Ben. Nothing to do with my fishing skills as a father. Definitely Ben's fault. But she, she didn't hook anything. And she never flinched because she wanted to be there. It wasn't about what she got out of it. It wasn't about whether or not she got praised, but she wanted to spend time fishing with her dad no matter what. And I wonder how many of us would have that level of devotion to spend time with our spiritual heavenly father if we got nothing in return, but just because we love him that much. You know when somebody's devoted to something. I used this story a few years ago. My son Jet, when he was little, he decided one day he was going to go around to our neighborhood and sell rocks. And when I, when I say rocks, they weren't like cool rocks. They were just rocks. Like anybody could find them. And he was charging a high dollar amount. I forget what it was, anywhere up three to five dollars per rock that he found in our driveway. And, and he's going around and it, people kept saying no and shutting the door in his face. And he just kept going on to the next house. He ended up making, I think, about 10 or 15 dollars selling rocks to the neighbors because they got tired of him being there. Then I came in on a Sunday morning and I shared that story. And there is a guy uh, here, a gentleman named Ryan Allwert. May have seen him on Indy Now, Fox 59, daily at 10 a.m. She watched it, but he, he, he felt so convicted by uh, Jet's level of devotion to selling rocks. He's like, I want to sponsor this. He, he bought like 20 or 30 rocks from Jet. Jet was swimming in Pokemon cards for like a month, dude. It was awesome. But I share that. Like, I think my son gets more excited about selling rocks and my daughter gets more excited about hanging out with her dad fishing than most of us ever get excited about devoted to the things of God in our communities, sacrificing for the cause of Christ. And I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. I'm trying to get us to be honest. We can't study the underground movement of Jesus and look at the book of Acts and walk through it and not go, something's wrong. Because we don't look like this. Most of us, I see Christians today that are living this way. I believe the underground movement of Jesus is still alive and well, but too often it's not what you see in spaces like this. And it happens as we help those in need, proclaim our faith in Jesus, 
And there's a level of devotion that requires everything to be following him in every aspect, up, in, and out, which we'll describe here in a moment. But all great movements of God, historically, for 2,000 years, begin with overwhelming devotion to Jesus. Hands down, Steve Addison, an author in Australia, calls it white-hot faith in Christ. Like It, it always begins with a, a level of devotion that is overwhelming to the things of Christ. So if you're like, I want to see Book of Acts today, it won't happen until we see that level of devotion. Let me give you some examples. If you look at the early church, not just the, the, the Acts 8 and the persecution that occurs here, by the second century, after the New Testament times, Christians literally, for their faith in Jesus, will be burned at the stake, have their ashes taken, thrown into the local river so it would dissipate, so that the non-Christian could mock them and say, I would love to see your Savior resurrect your body now. But by 325 AD, Christianity would become the official religion of the Roman Empire. Interestingly enough, it was at that period of time from then on that Christianity spread less rapidly than it did the first couple of hundred years. That under persecution, the level of devotion to Jesus was so high that it began to expand rapidly in ways it wouldn't later. It, you see this happen time and time again. I, I was reminded of like the Moravian movement. There, there was a gentleman named Jan or John Huss in Eastern Germany who this little church began to pray for a hundred years. For a hundred years, around the clock, someone in their church would be praying for the movement of Jesus to send out missionaries into the world around the globe. Millions of people ended up coming to Christ by the end of it. Not at the beginning. But the level of heartfelt devotion to the things of God was so real and tangible, it didn't matter what persecution or what they faced in this world. It didn't matter what the government approved of or didn't approve of. They simply were going to live out their faith and devotion to Jesus Christ the underground church in China in the last 50 years. Publicly, many of them could not worship in ways that Scripture teaches us to, so they had to do it privately in fear for their very lives, the type of persecution we're reading about in Acts chapter 8. In every instant, the overwhelming devotion of Jesus superseded everything in their life. But if we're being real, in American culture, we got a lot of other things to be devoted to. First of all, the cult season is coming up. Can I get an amen? amen. You can see what we're really fans of in, in, in culture today. The level of devotion you will see at Lucas Oil Stadium is quite high. Then we could really, if we want to get real devoted fans, we want to talk about the Lord's team, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish are kicking off a season against Ohio State Buckeyes soon. I just lost like half of you. Right, like you can see devotion in sports. You can see in Hamilton County our level of devotion to acquiring possessions and growing our financial portfolio. You can see our devotion to wanting to go out and have a good time on the weekend with those resources. You can see our level of devotion to pouring into our children's sports careers. You can see our level of devotion in so many aspects, but I wanna tell you today, we might as well not read this passage because if you don't have the level of devotion in Acts 8, the could uh, overcome persecution, it doesn't really matter how much we follow Jesus today. Again, no condemnation. And I'm not like, oh, the world's, you know, going to hell in a handbasket. And you just like, 
This has always been an issue for 2,000 years. Only with white hot faith in Jesus Christ do you see the kingdom of God expand. It's not about a gathering. It's about worshiping him in our lives and living differently because of it. Here's what I want to tell you. It's very simple this morning, but heavy. The, The title of this message is Don't Wait Another Day. Some of us in our lives, many of us in our lives, know the next step of faith we need to take to follow Jesus, to have the type of devotion we read in Acts chapter 8. But the reality is we've been talking about that for a really long time. Someday I'm going to do that. Someday I'm going to start that ministry, that nonprofit, that church. Someday I'm going to go join an outpost. Someday I'm going to start a discipleship huddle. I went through one for a year, but I never started one. Like, well, someday I'll do it. Someday I'll go through Rudin. Someday I'll take the next step and be baptized like it says over and over again in the New Testament. Someday. I'm telling you, if you read Acts 8, the message has to be don't wait another day. Three simple points. First one is this. Don't wait another day. Number one, do what God is asking today. Do what God is asking. Look what happens later in Acts 8. So Philip is going to go to Samaria, and when he gets there, he's going to run into some random person in a chariot. You've not had that happen, but you've run into random people before. Look what happens. Verse 26 of Acts 8. Persecution has happened. Philip is sent out. Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes from Jerusalem down to Gaza. Which you got to stop and go, that doesn't make a lot of sense. I'm in like God's city here in Jerusalem. He's sending you to Gaza where the Philistines historically had been. And what happens, verse 27, so he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, a eunuch was someone who was set apart for the service to the king or queen and had things done to them so they would not have a family in any way, shape, or form. They were only devoted to this service. They they weren't the type of uh, citizen that were granted a lot of things in life. They would have been somebody who probably had a lot of questions of why God gave them a life like this. It says that this Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians, this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. So this non-Jewish person just happens to be sitting there in their chariot reading the scroll of Isaiah and God just happens to send Philip the evangelist down to talk to him. Isn't this cool? And then I think the most important four verses in all of Acts 8 happens. Verse 29, the Spirit told Philip. If if you want to underline or circle that in your Bible or write that down, you're like, that's not very significant. The Spirit told Philip, I find that if we're going to talk about don't wait another day, that do what God is asking you to do, most of us don't know what God is asking us to do. If I talk about hearing from the Spirit of God, most American Christians have never heard from God in their entire lives. And look, if you're sitting here, again, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty. The the truth is, I've done this a long time, and I know if I ask you, have you heard from God speak to you in your life? Like, a few of you would go, yeah, yeah, a few times. It was really cool. Uh, Others would go, I'm not sure, maybe. But many of you would be like, Nope. (laughs) Never happened to me. Must be something wrong with me. I must not be a good enough Christian. I don't hear from God like all you other people. I must not have the pedigree and the spiritual background that is required for me to necessitate a relationship with God where I could actually hear him speak to me. 
And I want to tell you, you, you may have seasons of your life, years where you're reaching out to God and you don't hear anything specific back. Don't, don't be surprised by that. Your relationship with God is not based off of a feeling that you're experiencing. It's based off of what you could offer back. It's like when we come to worship, worshiping is about what we're feeling. It's about what we're offering to God, regardless of what we're feeling in that moment. For some of you here today, to listen to the Spirit of God means to continue to charge forward in your life according to His Word, regardless of what you're feeling and experiencing in any particular moment. That when you don't even feel like reading God's Word, you go to Him and you spend time with Him because you know it's those healthy disciplines and practices spiritually that lead to the impact of actually knowing Him in your life. And then you know what will happen after you develop those habits? There will be moments in time where He breaks through and you actually hear the Spirit of God speak to you. You know, over 11 years ago, uh, as about 12 years ago, actually, 11 and a half, I was sitting in a hotel room and, and I heard that, not the audible voice of the Lord. I didn't see an angel, none of that. I just knew God was speaking to me to move to Indiana, to start a church, and three friends of mine from high school were going to help us. It was the most weird, random, most real moment with God I've ever happened. And everything he said in that moment of prayer that I believed he was saying, all of it came true. Uh, one of them even came up with the name Mercy Road. And I, so I believe that this happens and, I, and I've seen confirmations of moments where God has spoken to me in my life, but there are many times, years that go by that I don't have an experience like that. The important thing is when you know God is saying something to you like that Philip does here, that he hears from the Spirit and it says, go to that chariot and stay near it. And then Philip ran up to the chariot. He didn't run away from it. He ran up to it. He did what God was asking him to do in that moment. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. If you're here today and you have never heard God speak to you about anything in your life, you don't need to feel bad or guilty about it or like you're not a good Christian, but I want to tell you, he is trying to speak to you. And sometimes it takes quieting our soul enough over years or months to begin to discern what it is that he's sharing. And there are going to be times where you have that dark night of the soul where you're not hearing anything from him and you just need to trust that he's carrying you during those times. But what I want to tell you today, the most powerful thing you could do is to begin to hear from God and respond to what he's asking you to do. And some of you know things he's been asking you to do for a really long time and you have been avoiding it. You know that the drugs and alcohol are a problem and it's not doing anything productive in your life. You know that God is speaking to you to stop it, but you just can't. But you don't reach out for help because you got pride. Let's not just pick on addicts in the room. There's lots of other addictive habits, by the way, than drugs and alcohol. For many of us who have been struggling in marriages to turn and ask for help because we need uh, God to intercede on some of the issues that we're struggling with, the struggles with our children, the struggles in relationship, we're afraid to open up and reach out and draw God and his community in with us and to do what he's asking us to do. In fact, I would argue that to be fully devoted followers of Jesus, we talk here that you have to follow Jesus up in and out. It's, it's the model of ministry, one of our movement maker statements that we're called to live by. Our worship services connect us with the up vertical relationship with God. Then we got a graphic. The huddles connect us with the in, the, the in discipling relationships. And then the outposts connect us out, thanks guys, uh, living on mission. 
And so you don't need to do all these things at once, but whatever season of life you're in, if you're like, I really need to grow in my faith and a real intimate community, you need to get into a discipleship huddle. Many of you have been through one and you need to go start one to help people in our church. There's actually a meeting after the third service today to, to talk about that. Some of you then are called to go out and live on mission. We even, that's why our whole engagement pathway graphic, you're gonna be seeing this a lot during this teaching series. Many of you, if you've only been to the worship service, the next step is the first step class. It's only one hour. And then there we're trying to get you connected to the volunteering on the weekend. You're already here. You'll meet people. And then go through the 11-week initial discipleship experience called Rooted, which kicks off September 7th. If you have never been through Rooted, if you miss everything else this morning, this is the number one thing we want everybody in our church to go through initially. It kicks off September 7th. If you can't do Wednesday nights, it's only 11 weeks long. You're in a group together. Uh, We'll put a group a different night of the week, but you gotta write rooted at the top of Connect Card or fill out the digital one with the QR code on the chairs. Do it today. You can still sign up for the next couple of weeks, but we're gonna have a big session for rooted this year because we think we can't respond to God and do what he's asking because the truth is nobody really does that and there's nothing happening today. We don't live like the book of Acts because the book of Acts isn't happening today. And I want to tell you that it is. Do you realize that the mission of Jesus is expanding rapidly right now in the state of Indiana? Not in every facet. Lots of ways we could improve. But I'm telling you, we are seeing new people come to Christ over and over again. We're seeing them discipled. We're seeing them live on mission. At the last service, two people got baptized in their clothes right there in that, in that tank that we're not prepared to get baptized. Because he said, I'm not gonna wait another day. I'm gonna start living this out. We have over 55 outposts here in this church. We got more huddles starting in the next couple of months than we ever have, I believe, in the history of our church. We're seeing new believers come to know Christ. We baptized seven people just last weekend. We've seen uh, 15 to 20,000 devices will connect online every single weekend. Six to 800 unique people will attend most of the entire service and worshiping that way online. That whether you're here in the building or you're online, the mission of Jesus is expanding, but it doesn't stop with this. What happens is we have to ask our questions, number two, get answers to your questions, which means you have to actually get discipled to begin to live out your faith in your world, in your context, because your devotion isn't to attend a one-hour service a week. Your devotion is to God Almighty. And his, his church is on the move, helping people, proclaiming the good news of Jesus, meeting physical needs until the return of Christ. Look what happens next in this passage, verse 31. He says, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. He says, I can't understand Isaiah. Some of you, if we gave you the scroll of Isaiah today, even in the English language, you'd be like, I have no idea what that means. The, the eunuch had to admit it. And then Philippi begins to answer some of his questions. Look what happens. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to slaughter. Isn't this cool? And as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Who's it talking about? It's talking about Jesus, the Messiah. This was written 700 years before Jesus, the lamb of God that would be given for our wrongdoing. Verse 33, in his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. You may be one question away 
from getting your next step of faith in Christ. Just stop running away from the, the, the doubts, the fears that you've got, the reasons that you don't follow him with the level of devotion we read about in Acts 8. Rooted is designed for that, by the way. Like I said, it's kicking off here in a couple of weeks. But God's purpose for your life is very real. And if you would just surrender it to it, I'm telling you, you may be somebody who grew up from a bad pedigree, spiritually speaking. Your parents got divorced. There's violence in the background, all kinds of sin and sexual habits that are unhealthy. And everyone else in your family is running away from the things of God, turning towards evil and everything this culture is telling us to do. But I want to tell you today, if there's even one person here that's like, I don't care how everybody else is living. I'm going to live with the level of devotion I read about in Acts 8, where I will follow God wherever he goes. I will get my questions answered. I'm telling you, God will show up. Look what happens for the eunuch. So he's reading from a later Isaiah, uh, I believe like 51 or 54 there. And just a few chapters later in Isaiah 56, I wonder, I wonder, Brad Smith pointed this out to me. I wonder if the eunuch read this that day. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain. I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give, them, I will give within my temple and all its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever." The people who were real people in that day, the eunuchs themselves who didn't have the great spiritual pedigree that maybe had some things from their past or their history. He says, your name will be written forever, that you can have eternal life. And what I want to tell you today is if you discern and hear from God of what he's saying in your next step of faith, that you could actually, regardless of your spiritual background, become the world changer he created you to be. We look at the problems around us, and I want to tell you, regardless of what uh, political party is in power or who is making decisions, regardless of what's happening in our culture, regardless of Christians are being uh, persecuted or lauded, either way, if we have a devotion to the things of Jesus first, it doesn't matter what's happening around us, his good news, his kingdom, the underground movement of Jesus will expand today. We will see people in our schools who will have their lives changed forever. And it's not just for us here in this room. It's for our spheres of influence. It's for the generations to come who will be impacted. If you simply just said, enough is enough, I'm going to respond to what God is telling me to do. The third and final point is this. What happens for the eunuch that day is he's going to get baptized. That for some of us, we're not going to wait another day to follow what the Lord's asking us to do to be baptized today. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, or I love the King James, behold, he's like, hey, pay attention. Here is water. What could stand in the way of my being baptized? You know, uh, I grew up that being baptized was like, once you have uh, grown to be an adult, to have a th correct theological answers, and, and we only baptize people when they have believed on their own, uh, not, as, not as infants, but that you had to get the right theological answers to the right theological questions. You had to begin to rid your life of sin and become the person that God wanted you to be. And then when you were holy enough and ready, then you could be baptized. There's only one problem with that. As not what it says in scripture. 
Read it. Every story throughout the New Testament, they believed and then they were baptized right away. It was the first step and not the last. And so look what happens here. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in the towns until he reached Caesarea. So just like that, in that moment, the eunuch is like, I can't believe this good news for me. He surrenders his life to Jesus and then he sees this body of water. He's like, well, what's keeping me from being baptized? Uh, you know, when, the last time I taught on this passage was two and a half years ago. And it was a different sermon, but we were in the middle of a, a lockdown because of COVID-19. And at that time, it had only been like a week or two. And it was, you know, most people were talking about, how could we just wait till this thing was over? And we began to discuss, well, Philip in this passage, what the passage says, there's water, what's keeping me from being baptized? And we were like, they have, they have water in their homes. They got bathtubs there. And, and so we said, well, what's, what's keeping us from baptizing people like the passage says? And, and, and then this really cool thing happened. I'm not making this up. There's a real website out there, uh, bathtubbaptism.com. <laughs> you can go to it. And uh, we created this site. And we said, if anybody wants to be baptized today in your home, you can fill up your bathtub. You could get uh, your family member to walk you through these spiritual questions. And then you could choose to follow the Lord in baptism. If you're at home alone in your apartment and you've got nobody to do that with you, fill up your tub. I will walk you through. And then you got water. What's keeping you from being baptized? I will walk you through the spiritual questions. You answer them. And then you go backwards into the water. You come back up. And then in that moment, we're going to baptize some people. We thought, what if one crazy person actually did this? 27 people got baptized that morning online. And, and here's the coolest part. You, you got to get on that website and read some of the stories. It didn't need a professional Christian to be in their home to hear from the Spirit of God and respond to what he was asking them to do. And I tell you, guys, as Americans, when it comes to living our faith out and our level of devotion, we can create excuses for everything. Someday I'll do it. Someday I'll be baptized. Someday I'll stop doing this sinful action that I can't get away from. Someday I'll stop looking at porn. Someday I'll start working on my marriage. Someday I'll start sharing my faith. Someday I'll become the person God wants me to be. And I want to tell you, it doesn't have to be someday. Make it today. Make it today. Stop waiting and say, today I'm going to take the next spiritual step that the Lord is asking me to take. A couple of spiritual questions that you might ask when it comes to baptism with, with Philip in that passage is who should be baptized? Scripture is very clear. I'm not going to read them all, but every person who has believed in Christ should be baptized. Every person who has believed in Christ. Acts 2.41, Acts 8.13, Acts 8.12. But when should you be baptized? When should I be baptized? As soon as you have believed. If you've truly believed this, Acts 2.41 again, and then again, Acts 8.35 or Acts 8, verse 36, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, behold, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? I want to tell you this morning, so we actually had planned three baptisms at the next service. So the baptism tank was already going to be full. Last week, we baptized six or seven people, had a really nice, warm little hot tub going on over here. Got in this morning and 
It was a little different this morning. Touched the water, felt like it was December in there. July, August out here, ice cold this morning. Uh, so great reason not to be baptized. Water's too cold. Uh, other reasons, you didn't come prepared. Uh, you're not wearing the proper attire. What about your hair and makeup? Uh, let's go down the list. We got a whole lot of other great American excuses. Have you ever worshiped in a, a church not in the United States? I, I, I worshiped in Ghana, Africa once. And when they did the offering, it was a Congo line to put the offering in. I want to tell you, you had to be active or you were going to stand out. And some of us, we could create fear over every little thing of why we don't take that next step of faith. And I want to tell you, stop it. We're never, we're never going to be the type of Christians that are devoted to the things of Jesus that you read about in the book of Acts. We, we might as well stop preaching this entire sermon series. If the one thing God is asking us to do, we're too afraid to do because what if this or that or whatever the excuse is. And some of you have sat in churches for 30, 40, 50 years and you never got baptized because you felt like you should have done it at this particular point and it never happened, so why bother? I don't need to do it. I already have salvation. Well, I want to tell you that today could be the day where you say, yeah, but God asked me in Scripture to do it, so I'm just going to do it. And then when he asked me to do the next thing, I'm just going to do that too. And then the next thing, I'm just going to do it again. And over time, that devotion, you start hearing from God in ways you hadn't heard from him before so as we close out, I'll tell you my own fear in self-reflection. That when I get to heaven, I'm not making this up. I'm not preaching to anybody. I'm preaching to myself this, this morning. In our comfortable Hamilton County suburban culture, I'm afraid to death that I'm going to get to heaven. And my son was going to be more excited about selling rocks door to door than I was about the things of Jesus that my daughter's gonna be more excited to spend time with her physical father fishing than I am spending time with my spiritual father. Making all kinds of excuses of why it's hard to actually live the way that God wants us to live. I wanna tell you, stop it today. Will you pray with me? God, I pray for anybody in this room right now who has never surrendered their life to you, Jesus. If that's you in the room and he's calling out to you, saying, I don't see the hurts of your past. I see what you could become. Respond to him this morning with me. Pray this prayer. God, this morning, August 14th, 2022, I surrender my life to you fully. I repent of my sin. I accept salvation. I believe and receive in your good news and surrender my life to you, Jesus. And then there are some people in the room who have given their life to you, maybe even prayed that prayer now, but have never been baptized, God. The eunuch said, there's water right here. What's keeping me from being baptized? If there's even one person, God, one person who would dull their pride down enough to take that step and to follow you, God, I pray that they would come forward and do it right now. We worship you this morning, Jesus. We celebrate you. Raise the level of devotion in our American churches, Jesus. We pray this in your name and all God's family said.